What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. And we're now on YouTube. So if you or someone you know prefers to listen to shows on YouTube, please recommend them Found Bites GRS on YouTube. All of our episodes will be available as thumbnail videos with audio synth animations, but we'll also be putting up the videos of the interviews we've done so far, as well as some other exclusive content. So check it out. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. Frost is the game for this week's episode. Frost is a survival strategy card game. And I see a lot of similarities with two games that we've done on the podcast before. They are Inscription and Dicey Dungeons. Definitely not just in the format of being cards, but the setup, the progression, how you unlock things, so on and so forth. The game was released in July of 2016 on PC, Mac, Linux, and I believe Android. And then in July of 2018, it finally came to Switch, Xbox One, and PS4. The game was developed by Jerome Bowden, so a one-man studio. And I believe Jerome works out of Spain, so I'm probably mispronouncing his name. And the console port was actually developed by Stage Clear Studios, so I'm not sure how much Jerome was involved in the console ports. But it was published by Le Studio des Tenebres, so the original version under Jerome Bowden. And then Digirati actually published the 2018 console ports. And we've heard the name Digirati before with regards to publishing. They published uh, LetterQuest uh, Remastered, which is a game that we've covered on the podcast before. The game has had several content updates. And so the version that you would get now, especially on console, and I believe also on all other platforms, is called the Revolution Edition. So a lot of fixes, a lot of adding in of different scenarios and stuff like that. The game released with an MSRP of $12.99 on consoles, $6.99 on Steam, and $4.49 on Android. And runtime of the game, if you're playing through, this is a tough one to nail down on how long to beat. It has it listed at like three to five, maybe, if you're just playing through. But this is one of those games that you can keep playing through, especially like Dicey Dungeons, where you could play through one run-through in maybe like a half hour, but that's not really beating the game. It's just kind of like an endless fun. You can keep doing runs, keep unlocking things. So I'm going to say, for the most part, this is pretty much endless. Me, I got this game on PS4 on sale for $2.59, and I've put in probably a little more than four hours, four to five hours. Definitely one of those games that just sucked me in. And no one really recommended this game. I just saw it on sale. It had really unique visuals, and I'm a sucker for a nice card game. I'm not huge into, like, roguelikes. 
Um, but this definitely had some back and forth uh, with some of the card play elements that I really enjoyed. All right, let's talk some gameplay for Frost. So a lot of similarities with Dicey Dungeons, as I talked about, because a lot of what you're going to be doing is just going through, doing runs, and sort of unlocking new things, whether it be new cards, new scenarios. And so you're going to get into kind of this loop where you're going in and doing as much as you can, and then you come out and you get access to different things. So let's talk about the pacing and the progression in general, like the macro sense for this game. So it has a really great tutorial, and it's very transparent. So when you go in and do the tutorial, it's kind of guiding you with little bubbles and like telling you what each thing means and stuff like that. And what's really good is that you can actually play this tutorial at any time. So if you need to like refresh, if you haven't played the game in a long time, you can just go right into the main menu and that option is always there. What's also nice is at any point in the game, not even in the tutorial, you can pull up the help screen on any card or anything in the vicinity of what you're doing in the game and it'll give you like detail especially about cards it'll tell you what each symbol means what each area on the card is referring to um, so you always have that so really good for transparency and that's really nice there is a classic mode on the main screen and this is basically going to be like your free mode where you can put together a lot of the things that you've collected or unlocked and when you first access it it's going to say that there's only one option and that's easy and so you click easy and you have to beat the easy mode so it's really kind of scaffolding things for you you can start with the tutorial or you can go right to easy or go tutorial then easy so once you beat easy you can unlock the other modes which are custom and then endless so endless is kind of like an extra thing I think it's kind of like Casey's mod in inscription where like you can just keep going and just sort of see how far you can get but the custom option is really good because once you open it up there's actually a whole menu of things that you can change you can add more of certain things so there's gonna be like the distance that you have to travel in the game uh, the number of objectives the quote-unquote legendary regions that you might come across the number of pets that you can have and then you can choose which character if you've unlocked multiple characters that you can use uh, with their special ability. So you can really mix and match different things and vary the difficulty. And it actually shows you at the bottom as you click, like if you want to put the distance higher, but you don't want a lot of objectives, like it'll have like this makeshift difficulty. So if you don't do anything, it'll probably stay at fair. If you lower the distance you have to go, it'll probably go to easy. And then you can go up to hard or impossible. Another option in the main menu is to go through scenarios. And you won't have access to this until you beat, I believe, at least easy mode. But basically what scenarios are, it's where you play as a very specific character that has unique abilities and goes through a series that has unique objectives where you have to do something specific that's a little different than classic mode. And so once you beat that character scenario, you're allowed to use that character in the custom mode. Now the thing about this game is that all the plays that you go through, all the modes that you go through can potentially unlock more things. And so it's not quite that you have to beat everything. So Dicey Dungeons was very specific. Like if you wanted to unlock different characters, you had to beat like level one for the thief or the warrior or something like that. But it's not the same here. 
here because a lot of your runs are going to end in dying and they did for me but it's fine because at the end screen it'll say like you got new things and it might show you new cards that are now in the card pool or it might say that you now have access to this scenario or this character and whatnot there's really not a major stress in beating the game it's just kind of getting in grinding and just like getting used to the gameplay and the thrill of like trying to get as far as you can so I really like that because it encourages you not to be perfect, which is impossible. And also it shows you that like sometimes it's just the luck of the draw, but you'll still maybe unlock something. And I don't know the specifics of unlocking everything in this game. Like one time I got through a mode really quickly and died and I was like, well, I'm not getting anything here. And I did unlock something. So I don't know what the algorithm is, if it's just like number of times you played or it could be different for everything, for unlocking different scenarios or characters or different cards and whatnot but I like the variability there. All right, now let's talk about when you're in the game. So after you pick the parameters and whatnot and you go into the game, this is where it's this turn-based card game. And so just some general elements that you're gonna come across. Obviously, you'll have a card deck and this will grow as you go through the game. Hopefully, you want it to. But the basic premise when you're in the game is you have this objective of needing to survive a certain number of travels. And basically, you're trying to travel to a refuge. But there's a lot of things that you need to manage along the way. It's not just a straight shot. You'll also be managing your health uh, you'll be managing this frost system and potentially there could be other objectives if you set it up that way in the custom mode or if you're playing as a scenario in a specific character you might have different objectives other than just uh, survive a certain number of travel but basically when you're going through this game traveling moves the game forward and so you have this turn-based progression throughout that's going to either refresh things or going to move you along and then so let's talk about when you have a turn so each turn there are going to be specific options or a specific layout depending on if you traveled or not but basically it's going to start with you being dealt a hand from your deck and every time that you have a new turn your hand refreshes when you start a new turn typically it's going to start with a location and an event now these are only going to be new if you have traveled so if you haven't traveled and you keep going through turns you're going to be at the same location with the same event there and the way that these two things work the location is going to dictate what resource requirements you need to put up to travel to the next location. And these are gonna be made up of three things, food, materials, and survivors. And the other thing is an event. And this event is something that you can interact with. Sometimes you can only interact with it once. Sometimes it's just up there for the whole time. But again, both of these things are going to change once you eventually travel. So an event can vary. It can be an enemy, in which case you might just need to kill it. Or it could be a lot of having abilities to convert certain resources to other resources. It can be spend resources to gain health. There's a lot of different variations here. And then at the top, as you go through your different turns, you're going to see that there are idea cards that are just accruing at the top. So at your first turn at a specific place, there will be one idea card at the top. And you can choose to like access it, pay the cost and whatnot, and we'll talk about that. Or you can just do whatever else you want and then go to your next turn. But each turn, it's going to add one more card. So that first card that was there, the first turn, as long as you didn't take it, is going to stay there. But these cards will go away if you travel to another location. So there's a lot of resetting once you choose to travel. You're going to have an array of abilities that can convert resources on your own. And some of these may be character specific, but a lot of these are just game specific. Like if you're in the game, you'll be able to do this one thing or these two things and whatnot. Also, a lot of what you're going to be doing is using your cards 
to either get new cards or to pay forth resources at your location. Another thing you'll be able to do is rest, uh, but you can only do that at the beginning of your turn before you play any card. And then, of course, as you get deeper into this game, there'll be a lot more options and some complexities. So let's talk about the actual cards, because that's going to dictate how a lot of things run. So there are different categories of cards. So let's start with the basic resources. So like I said, food, materials, and survivors. They're very obviously different, and it'll say food or materials or survivors at the bottom. And so the basic versions of this are just going to be one of them is one card. So one card that says food at the bottom and has like the yellow apple, like that's a food resource. And these can be put towards different things. Mainly your main objective is going to be to put them toward that location requirement. So for example, if you get to a location that says, okay, you need two food, one materials, two survivors to travel forward, you can choose if you have them in your hand to put them onto the location card, or you can choose to put them towards some of your other cards. And we'll talk about some advanced cards. Materials are pretty basic. Food is pretty basic, but survivors, some survivors can actually have abilities on their card themselves. And so you can do combos where like you might give a survivor food or give a survivor material and they'll be able to draw a certain number of cards or do certain things. The idea cards that come at the top each turn, these are really interesting and they add a lot to the game. But in order to get them from the top of the screen to your hand, and then ultimately in your deck, you have to pay a certain cost. And in the top right of the card, it'll say, you know, a picture of a person, a picture of an apple, or a picture of a material, which is basically a block of wood. And what's interesting is that if you want a certain card that's an idea card up there, and you don't have enough of the resources this turn to get it, you can actually put whatever you have on that card and it'll kind of shadow out that requirement. So they'll stay there as long as you don't travel so you can go over multiple turns and pay for it, kind of like a layaway situation. So once you get them in your hand, if you paid for them, there's also a cost to use them. Some of them you don't need to pay anything to use them. It's just like it'll use the card. But there's this interesting thing with the cost of something, whether it being to just discard whatever the resource is or the card is or to em eliminate that card from your deck so if you look at a card and it has a cost and it has like a blue person and it's not crossed out but then it has an apple and it is crossed out what that means is it costs you one survivor and one food to get that card but the food is going to be completely eliminated from your deck whereas the survivor card is just going to go in the discard pile so being able to weigh what something costs whether it's going to cost you resources that'll just get shuffled back into your deck or whether it's going to completely eliminate it from your deck is going to be kind of a cost benefit analysis now what's interesting is like i said there are location resources and you need to put them on the location in order to travel but those are not going to be eliminated from your deck like if you need two foods one material and two survivors you're going to have a couple in your hand and then you can put them on the location so over a couple turns you'll be able to get all the requirements for that location and then travel onward but what's interesting is that even though you kind of put them in the discard pile and eventually they get shuffled back into your deck they're actually locked in there so they're not in your deck until you travel again there are also fatigue cards, which are interesting. They're basically just blank cards that don't have any use, but their primary function is to take up space in your deck. Because when you draw a new hand, if you have fatigue cards, you can't really use them. And this is where the rest mechanic comes in, because if you have like three or four fatigue cards in your hand at the beginning of your turn, if you hit rest, it'll eliminate all the fatigue cards in your hand, 
but you'll lose a turn. So there's, again, kind of a cost-benefit analysis there. And so getting fatigue cards is not something that you want to do, but you also will get cards that can eliminate fatigue cards in your hand. In terms of using cards, some cards you're going to get that are single use, like certain weapons are single use, like once you use them, it's gone from your deck. Sometimes when you use a card, like if there's a card that says like draw three cards or something like that, as long as it doesn't have an X through the arrow, you can keep using it, it'll get shoveled back into your deck. So again, a lot of that cost benefit analysis of like, is this card something that's going to expire very quickly? Is this something that I'm going to build up my deck with? One of the things that you're going to use cards for is to address events. So if you have an event there, sometimes it might need to be resolved if there's a threat. So if there's like a wolf or a bear or something like that, it'll tell you like what you need to get rid of it. So some of them might need a weapon. And so the symbol that's on a weapon card, you can use it on it and kill it. Some of them might have multiple options for getting rid of it. So one of the enemies is like cannibals. It needs two damage or you can give it two food, but that food gets eliminated from your deck. So it's really a matter of what you have available to you, whether you got a weapon coming through the idea card chain or whether you already have it in your deck. But if you have an abundance of food or something like that, you might say, okay, I'm going to use this food instead. Some of the cards are going to have multiple options. So if it's an idea card and once you get the cost and put it in your deck, there might be multiple options that you can choose from once you use the card. So for an example, there's a cleaver and a cleaver, if it comes in the idea card list, it costs one material, but it destroys that material. But it has two options once you get it to use it. It has no cost to use, but it can do one damage damage to an enemy or if you use it, it can give you two pieces of material. So whenever I see a cleaver and I have one piece of material, I always get it because I can just turn it into two materials. So little tricks like that. And that kind of brings us into kind of the flow and strategy of this game. A lot of it is going to be paying attention to symbols. So like I said, whether a symbol has a cross through it or not, that's going to be an indicator of if you put it up as a cost, whether you're going to lose that material from your deck or not, or that resource from your deck. Some of them are going to have question marks. Like if it has a picture of a survivor and then a question mark that means you're going to get survivors like new cards to your deck sometimes you'll be able to do simple abilities that'll say like put a food here or put a survivor here and you'll get a question mark that means you're going to add cards to your deck so there's going to be a lot of kind of ebb and flow with using things you already have versus using things to get new cards and build up your deck more there's going to be a lot of back and forth between immediate use or having forethought so if you have certain cards in your hand and you have enough to like put all the location resources in but you can kind of look ahead and say like well if i give up these two pieces of food i can actually get this idea card which can give me four new cards into my deck so you kind of weigh that especially early going in the game because you don't have that big of a deck so if you're just like burning resources and eliminating cards from your deck it's going to make it kind of a struggle to get through some of these locations survivor cards are actually really good and you're going to wind up getting a lot of these and this is going to be sort of the lifeblood of a lot of the gameplay loop because anytime you're playing this game you can use a survivor card and you'll have the ability to put it up and get a new card 
So this is going to be one of the major ways that you're adding cards to your deck. So if you have a hand with like three survivors and you don't need any for your location resources, you're going to be putting them up to get new cards to your deck. However, there is a risk and the game tells you this. Anytime you put a survivor up for a new card and use that basic ability, there'll be a risk that they die. And so again, playing that cost benefit analysis, do I need more resources? Is it early on? Do I want to push my luck or do I need survivors in my deck and not want to put them in? danger when you're finally done with your location resources and you're ready to travel keep in mind that if there's an enemy they will do damage to you so anytime there's risk of damage there'll be like a drop of blood what's interesting is if you don't kill the enemy and you travel when the next turn comes up your character is either going to have to take that one damage or you're going to have to kill a survivor that is in your hand so if you don't have any survivors in your next opening hand you will have to take one damage so just another sort of management system that you have to be aware of. Speaking of being aware, the size of your deck is very important because again, if you lock resources into your location, you're not going to be able to use them to get more cards and whatnot. So you want to create this balance between getting new cards, eliminating resources. And finally, one of the big things you have to be aware of is the frost meter. So this is going to be sort of the driving force to the peril in this game. There's a meter in the top left corner and it ticks down from eight all the way to one. Anytime you travel, it's going to tick up a number. But what's interesting is anytime you take a turn before you travel, that number ticks down. And so you want to keep pace because once you get at one, that is your last turn. And if you can't travel, you get a game over. So you want to keep that meter high. And you also want to use it as a bit of strategy because if you're at eight, like on your first turn, and you put all the location resources in, you're ready to travel, you might want to just take another turn and maybe get some of the idea cards that are there or use the event there uh, to get different resources or different cards. There's really this constant weight of consequences to what you're doing. It's really throwing a lot at you, and I will say it's surprisingly manageable even though it has deep systems and a lot of things getting thrown at you at the same time. But in that respect, I think it really makes it a true survival sim, really something that I, I enjoy. Let's talk about the vibe of Frost. So right off the bat, you have to tip your hat to the visuals here because it really gets you in the mood for what you're about to experience. So basically the screen is like all white to simulate that you're in this snowy mountainous blizzard abyss. Although what's really interesting is that you can go in the settings and click to night mode, which is kind of spooky in itself. It kind of just changed everything to black and it has like this scruffito effect where it's like black overlaid and what was etched and hand drawn in the background is now like sort of etched through almost like you're scraping through and there's color coming through it's really interesting but the game visually is hand drawn and it is a bit harrowing these uh, people some of them are people but animals and different things that you see it's a weird cross between like shell silverstein and 
those YouTube videos where the guy's saying my spoon is too big and almost like a David Lynchian aspect, like some of David Lynch's uh, visual art, definitely imperfect in the way that they're drawn and proportioned and whatnot, but their physicality, their animations, their positioning is really odd and strange and just a bit unsettling and it really adds to this sort of strange scenario that you're going for. As you're playing through the game and you're even in the card game mode, when you hit travel, it's really interesting, like snow prints, like you see these giant footprints kind of move up the screen, like the cards go away and you see the footprints. So really good indicators in this game on the cards. Like, you know, when you have a food card, you know, when you have a resource card, not just by the words at the bottom, but there are like the little apple is bright yellow. So it really stands out in contrast, especially a lot of cards that have a lot of things on it, like are very complex. It's pretty simple to read. Maybe it's because you also have the tutorial there. It's very clear, even if there are multiple symbols or multiple options you can get from using a card, it's very obvious what everything means here. Whenever you start a mode or especially a scenario, like you'll get like this visual and like there's dialogue and you see like the full character and like there's a little bit of story it really kind of sets the scene it's really interesting and adds the charm of the specific characters thematically the game is clearly about survival it's about despair it has all of this it has direness and it doesn't get too personal with these individual characters but you're just always feeling this like grind or like you're barely gonna make it there's nothing there but this cold kind of snowy frost and you really feel that because there's not much visually but if you're out in a snowstorm, it's like you can't see five feet in front of you. And even when you're playing the game and you're like getting close down to one on the frost meter, like when you get to one and it's like your last turn, the screen really starts to go crazy and it makes it seem like I guess the blizzard is picking up, but it's like lines are going across the screen. It's more obscured. It makes it kind of more difficult. There are some hints at maybe native mythology, whether it's like Native Americans or, or Eskimo and whatnot. Nods to mysticism, maybe. Like some of the individual characters, like the meditator and the guide and what they look like visually and also their abilities. In terms of audio, it's pretty minimal. But it's definitely present, like you can feel like absence of sound at times, as well as like the wind ripping in. There's this loud silence that's there, and it's like underlying feedback or ringing. Definitely an ominous feel, and there's even some chanting, like the main music in this game is just this chanting. Whenever you play a card that seems like maybe the wrong decision, or whenever an enemy comes in as an event or something like that, there's this like boom. And I don't know if it's always indicating something negative or like there's that correlation. But if yours very similar to like inscription, like whenever you made a decision, it was like there was some kind of like the weight of the decision just hit the floor. And so really effective, I feel like the minimalism in general, the muteness and the emptiness. And I think that really translates to you're out there and it's you versus the wilderness, which is not really a thing. It's kind of you versus yourself and you just trying to survive and I, I really feel that throughout this game. Alright, let's wrap up the conversation about Frost. So this is a pretty simple, minimalist game that has this endless depth strategy and challenge. And it's really the type of game that I eat up once I'm in it. 
I was playing this game a couple nights in a row where I was like, okay, let me just do this last run at this scenario and try to beat it. And then like five runs later, I was like, oh my God, what time is it? It's 3 a.m. Like I got to go. And so I love a game like that that just sucks you in. That's just like, let me do one more. I know I can do it. Or now I got this scenario. I got to try this. And there's just something about the horror of being trapped in this eternal snowy wilderness. And it really does feel like a true survival game. Some things that are a little iffy. The game can be buggy. From what I've read, it used to be worse, especially when it first launched. But sometimes like I'll use a card that says you can draw one card. And then it doesn't give me a card when it should. Sometimes when I start up the game, like if I hit X too much, it brings me right into the tutorial. Because like that's the first option when you get to the main menu. And there's this weird timing with, like, screens fading up or fading out. Like, if I click before the screen's up, it'll make the decision before I even see it. Just small things like that that kind of get a little irky. In terms of value, I think 13 bucks is nice if you're getting it on console. Anything under $10, I think, is perfect for this game. I got it for an absolute steal for $2.59. Similar to when I got Dicey Dungeons for 2 bucks. I was like, this is endless gameplay loops that I eat for breakfast. Like, I love stuff like this. And so I think there's a lot of value here. It's a great pick-up-and-play game. Again, that sort of one more go at the scenario, like I think I can do it. There's really a lot of value. You get a lot of bang for your buck here. And the extensive challenge and accessibility, I think, make this a really good game. And so I highly recommend it. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.